0: Throughout our lessons is ericsson's book on and um, on the tr- and his chapter on the Trinity. He closes his chapter by saying this: uh, "Try to explain it, and you'll lose your mind. Try to deny it, and you'll lose your soul." <laughs> so that gives us the, the beginning of our understanding of what the Trinity is about and uh, what uh, you know the complexity that we have in trying to describe it. Um, the, the trouble, the problem that we have, is that the Bible does not present an argument for the Trinity, nor does it try to explain it. The Bible doesn't try to explain the existence of God. The Bible does not try to uh, explain why God does what He does. Rather, the Bible presumes the existence of God in three and per- in three persons. It just presumes that it's there. It, there is no question about it. That. Uh, so that, that's why, for, for our arguments of theology, and that we're, we, we have to draw upon a number of the different references that uh, correspond to the idea of the Trinity. Now, many people have their personal uh, ideas about how the uh, Trinity should be understood, and that's good. We all have our way of saying that the Trinity is, okay, you know, there's the egg, there's the shell, and there's the yoke, then there's the wife, you know, three, yet one, and, and then we, we have the uh, Water, there's ice, there's frozen, and then there's a liquid, and then there's the steam. You know, we always say that's water, three, one. Well, we all have ways of, of explaining the Godhead and talking about them. But it is important that we understand what Orthodox Christian teaching on this doctrine is. And um, that we understand that we are monotheistic. That we are monotheistic, that's one God. Okay? We are monotheistic. We believe that there is one God. And God's personality in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. With three distinctive characters. One God with three. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's... That's uh, the, the Orthodox Christian belief from all of, through all of the centuries. That's not an Assemblies of God doctrine. <laughs> That's not a Presbyterian, Presbyterian doctrine or a uh, Church of God or whatever. Or whatever. It's the Christian, Christian doctrine. Mm-hmm. All, all churches that are Christian and adhere to mm-hmm. the monotheistic, one the God, mm-hmm. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, Godhead, you know, Catholic, whatever, whatever denomination that are Christian. All right. all right, now. now we are then, at all costs, we should be knowledgeable enough in our understanding to express ourselves in a way that we, we understand that we believe in one God, not three. Now, now, as we encounter, as Christians, encounter the world religions, is imperative that the doctrine of the Trinity then be based upon a sound understanding of biblical truths, and biblical theologies, the Hindus? The Hindus think that Christians believe in three gods. Then they simply absorb these three gods that we believe in into their pantheism, which is many gods. The Muslims and the Jews are devout believers in one god and they think that Christians believe in three gods. Thus we must be clear about the doctrines of the Godhead and of the Trinity and learn how to speak clearly about our understanding of them. the issue of our witness to the trinity exists beyond the world religions. It goes to the cults, and we're going to break these up a little more as we go through our lesson. The Jehovah Witnesses reject the Orthodox Christian doctrine of the trinity. The worldwide Church of God, Herbert W. Armstrong, Armstrong, rejects the trinity. Mormons, the Mormonists, rejects believing, rejects the trinity, believing in the three gods, who are not one in substance and in person. Are three separate personalities. The Mormonism is not even the Mormonism belief is not monotheistic. They do not believe in one God, but at least three of them. The Unification Church rejects the Trinity and believes that the Holy Spirit is the female spirit, corresponding to the male spirit of God the Father. So, as we you know, as we we look at these things, and we we know. Where we um, are confronted sometimes with the Jehovah Witnesses. We know about the Unification Church, Herbert W. R. Armstrong, The World Tomorrow, that, that's very much uh, advertised, and he's on, I think, on Sunday nights. The World Tomorrow, and these types of things. That's what these guys are preaching. That's the basis of where they're coming in from. And they, when, you, when, your, when your foundation is wrong, no matter how good your superstructure is, it's going to fall. If you, you there's no man cometh unto the Father but by me through Jesus Christ, that's the an answer. And Jesus Christ is, is not a created being. He is one not one a lesser God. God. He is not. He God is one one not three distinct God. gods. He is one, he is one God. And we're, we're going to show, show and go through the scriptures, scriptures and look at this, at this and see how the scriptures point out to us this aspect of the Holy Trinity, with the monolithic view, of one God, three in one, Father, the Son, Holy, Holy, Spirit. Holy Spirit. And, and we're going to prove it formally this morning. <laughs> and you going to understand it. Amen. That's faith. <clears throat> yeah. Alright. One of God. Monotheism. Um, in Isaiah chapter forty four verse six. It's verse uh, first part first verse of our lesson. Okay. Um uh, I think it's monotheistic, it's monotheism. It's the same thing, the same word, but uh, different. Monotheism. He needs one God. Monotheistic is a, you know, a, 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 another rephrasing of monotheism. Um, humanity has many ways of expressing its belief about God. Now, One is he, We have we are a monotheism. All right. Now we have hedonism. H e d o n o t h e i s m. Hedonism, and belief in, in many gods, and one supreme. It's not a supreme pizza. It's just one supreme. Okay? <laughs> many gods with one supreme god. All right. And then we have pantheism. Pantheism holds that everything is a god. Uh, You worship the stars, you worship the trees, you worship the stones, everything is a god. Pantheism. Uh, Polytheism. Polytheism believes in many gods. The difference here is: atheism means everything is God. Polytheism means that there are this many gods. Everything is in God. All right. Uh, and of course there we have the, the Christian believe that uh, monotheism, which is the aspect of one God. Now, any teaching of the Trinity, any teaching of the Trinity that divides the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into two or three gods, is wrong. There are aspects of Christianity that separate God into the three gods, and is not true. Um, in Isaiah 40, uh, chapter 40 through chapter 66, uh, if we read it in this, if you would read that, we would find that this, in this critical period of Israel's captivity in Babylon, there, are, there is a message of hope, of, and we can't take the time, of course, to read all through those chapters this morning. But it is a, it is a message of hope, of comfort, and promises of restoration. But it was also a message of warning against the triumph over the gods of the Babylon. Now, as the head of the Babylonian pantheon. All right, the Babylonians were pantheons. Pantheons. everything's a god. The, the, the head of their gods was Marduk. Okay? Now, the Babylonians, because the Babylonians had conquered Jerusalem, they believed that their god was greater than the god of Israel. So they, they, they in turn thought that this is idea, this is belief, that we always look to who is the stronger God who wins? The bad. So that means that they're stronger. Not but necessarily. So we so. find that the, the God, God of Israel God, uh, let God. the people of Israel go into captivity because of their sins. And then Isaiah, the prophet, told them that they were in sin, they were in captivity because of the sin, and that the God of Israel was greater than the God of the Babylonians because God of Israel used the Babylonians to bring judgment upon the children of Israel. And at the designated time, the God of Israel would liberate the children of Israel from the Babylonian God. So, the reference uh, we find in. the problem, then, was not that the God of Israel, Yahweh, was weak. The problem for Israel was that He was strong enough to bring a pagan nation against them as judgment. The God of Israel is supreme. And we have this message. There's a reason to all this, this is what we're going to here. Alright? Now, in chapter 44, verse 6, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts, I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me there is no God. Establishing the fact that there is no other God. First and last, this This reminds us of the the reference that Jesus Christ Christ makes to himself, that I am the Alpha Alpha, Alpha, and the Omega, the beginning and the end. It means that God stands at the beginning and the end of all uh, creaturely existence in history. God is at the beginning. There was no beginning without God. God has always been and He always will be. And when man came into existence and time came into existence, God was the heir. There is nothing hidden from His view or from His will. He knows all things. There is nothing greater than His power to accomplish His will. So when He says there is is one God, and when He says there is no one else like me, I am the only one that is like me. There are, you know, we wonder. Well, what about uh, what about the Hindus and Hinduism and these other ones uh, that have different views? Well, they're just worshipping Allah, you know, Allah, the Muslims are worshipping Allah. That's just another name for God. No, it's not. It's not the God of Abraham, the God of Jesus, you know, with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That is of Christ. Is this God here? It is not Allah. It is not, there is no other God. And he is known by one name. Uh, oh, yeah, it is. It is. It is. All it is, I don't know how many names are given to God, God who provides. Uh, uh, oh, oh, I forget them all right now. I forget some of them. But um, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, Jehovah Rehma. Uh, and we, you know, go off and out of the line, uh, the, the Lord is in our banner. You know, there's and different names the God that God has given himself. God. But I am the Diana. I'm Yahweh, I'm God. There is nothing. There is no one else beside me. So from the very beginning then we have the understanding that there is there is God. Alright? One God. He's in charge of the whole place. There is nothing greater than his power. And his powers and his ability to, to accomplish his will. He can and does use do the heathen to accomplish his divine purpose. Um, and we find in the Babylonian captivity he used the heathen to bring judgment upon Israel. Okay? So, thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and He is Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first, and I am the last, and besides me, and beside me, there is no God. All right? No God. One God. All All right, let's go on. Um, In Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. All right, right. we're going to see, now we move, okay, we with that one reference verse, we had it in. All right. Now yeah, we're, we're going to move to, to Mark's, Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Someone bring to that. Hey. Yes. The thing is that this is. They're always right. The Lord our God is one God, one Lord. During, uh, during the final week of, uh, of Jesus' life here on earth, there was a barrage of questioning attacks upon him in Jerusalem. And Mark chapter 12 describes a series of attempts by the Pharisees and the Sadducees to discredit Christ to try and bring him down. Now, verses Uh, 13 and 14 of Mark chapter 12. Let me just read it. Mm -hmm. Mark chapter 12 verses 13 and 14. But they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him for the purpose of entrapping him in his speech. And they came up and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and that you profess to be that you cannot lie. And that you have no personal biases for anyone you are not influenced by partiality and have no regard for anyone's external condition or position. But, in truth, you teach the way of God. Is it lawful or permissible to give tribute, whole uh, tax to Caesar or not? That's the question. Alright? Now, that doesn't sound like such a bad, bad question. Uh, the coin with Caesar's imprint implied the intrusion of heathenism into Jerusalem. Now, the Caesars considered themselves as gods. See, this is the question that is presented to Jesus. That if Jesus says that it is lawful to pay taxes, then you are, are, um, are worshipping the god of the Romans. This wasn't just an idea of paying taxes. <laughs> this is a confrontation over whether the Jews should be subject to the Roman god, which was Caesar. Well, Jesus' answer drew attention to something they had already knew: Caesar was a representative of the Roman government; he is not a god, and it is proper to give to Caesar or government those things that belong to him. You see this coin? This coin belongs to the Roman government. It is proper then to give this coin back to the Roman government. So, rather <laughs> than so saying that it was Caesar was a god. And getting on that issue, because if you got on the issue of Caesar being a god or not a god, the Roman, Roman government, if he, he came out and said Caesar's not, not a god, the Roman government soldiers would have taken him away. They would have loved that. If he said that the Roman Caesar was God, the Jewish people would have turned against him. They thought they had him in a no-win situation. They thought that they had him so that, but God is a sign. And maybe once he says, he loses. Jesus never loses. So, the second confrontation was in verses 18 to 27. The Sadducees asked him a question about the resurrection and marriage. Now, again, Jesus knew that they were trying to trap him. He knew that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. Here are people coming to Jesus and confronting him about the resurrection, and they don't even believe in it. His answer then was a rebuke against them, not only for not knowing the scriptures, but also for not knowing the power of God. Um, the Sadducees position. I'll always you know, I told you this time, I remember the Sadducees and the Pharisees, that what they believed, is the Sadducees were Sadducees because they didn't believe in the resurrection. Now, the Pharisees, they believed in the resurrection and in angels and things like that, but they didn't believe in Christ. So there were these two thoughts at that time. Uh, they. Uh, if men do not believe in an afterlife as they thought, as they thought, then God was not their God. So what Jesus did was he pulled himself away from them and gave them the declaration about what was truth. And the truth was there is a the resurrection, there is an the activity of God in people's lives, and there is a life to come. The third encounter is a uh, uh, stands as a sharp contrast to the first two. The first two encounters, Jesus decisively defeated the, the three main religious political groups of the time the Pharisees, who were the legalistic, concerning the law, the Herodians, who were the political manipulators, and the Sadducees, who were religiously and politically powerful to Jerusalem. Now, in verses 28 and 29, which we just read here, was the third encounter that Jesus had in this chapter with the scribes. Uh, by the tone of the account, uh, from the conversation between this man and Jesus, it is evident that the scribe was sincerely seeking the truth Now, now the question from verse 28, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he and he had answered in a while I asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Now the man has been listening to these these arguments about uh, these debates about paying taxes and uh, about the Sadducees, about the resurrection and the afterlife and the marriage. This man's been paying attention to this, and he follows it up with, well, then, really, you know, here's a man who is sincere when he says to Jesus, now, which one of these is the greatest commandment? Now, the Jews were familiar with, you know, they had a lot of rabbis who were great -great rabbis and teachers. And one one rabbi had summarized the law, and he said it this way. He said, what you yourselves hate, do not do to your fellow. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Go and learn it. While well, Jesus took that statement and made it a positive statement about the golden rule. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law of the prophets. So apparently the scribe's question to Jesus was in his effort to get the opinion of a anointed rabbi versus another denoted rabbi. But we have it in Mark chapter 12, verses 29 to 31. I going to read that. It says, Jesus answers, the first and principal one of all commandments is, Hear, ye, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God out of and with all of your heart, and out of and with all of your soul, and out of and with, and with all your mind, and your moral understanding, and with all of your strength. This is the first and principal commandment. And then we have verse 31. The second is, like it, and it is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself, there is no other commandment greater than these. Well, these commandments are quotes from Deuteronomy um, uh, chapter 6 verses 4-5. And the Lord Christ's answer was very unique because it was a combination of two scriptural passages. Now, the reference in from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, one Lord is called Shema. And it's the Hebrew word for the word here. It was and it is it's recited daily by pious Jews, and it is a standard Jewish confession of faith. It clearly affirms that Jewish monotheism attests to the fact that Jesus himself taught that God is one. Again, all of this, all of these things, things that we saw up here. I know, well, how does this fit? The idea of the point, the idea of the resurrection, the idea of paying taxes, and the idea of which is the greatest commandment. You see all of these things in, 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 the, in the theology of the Trinity. All of these things in this, in this one chapter here point to the fact that God is one God. That if you do not, what belongs to the Caesar is Caesar. He is not a God. If he made a it, it belongs to him. This is the Roman government. It belongs to him. But what belongs to God that belongs to God. What belongs to the man belongs to the man. See the pay and the taxes and the tribute, and. Uh, Jesus was not changing the Jewish perception of one God. Jesus was not, was not making a, a, a change from the Old Testament to the New, and changing the idea of one God. You remember we said here that um, in Isaiah 46, I am the first and I am the last, and besides me there is no the God. There's one God. Here Jesus comes along in the New Testament, affirms the same thing there is one God. All right. it, it affirms the Jewish monotheism and attests to the fact that Jesus Himself taught that God is one. Because Jesus knew He was the eternal Son of God, this passage means that Jesus knew the reality of one God in three persons. That's right. I hope it's just, like, like I said, <laughs> this is quite an undertaking for some of these But Well, it's important that we understand the aspect of the Trinity, the the Trinity and the aspect East. of one God. Because you uh, have the couple uh, of knock on your door, you, you start, start talking about your biblical beliefs, beliefs, your beliefs in uh, the idea of the Trinity. Yeah, right. And yeah, we believe in that too. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God created His Son and down the line. The great thing is, how can you, can you understand, understand that? It? Can, you can you explain the Trinity? the Trinity? Can you understand that? Then they come back and they say, well, we don't believe that God wants you to do anything that you can't understand. Or believe in anything that you can't understand. Uh-oh. That sounds logical. That's not true. We can't understand it. First Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. Okay, five and six. the and And one Jesus Christ things and Corinthian church was, was a very uh, noteworthy church. church and then it was noted for its charismatic, charismatic gifts and its knowledge. But yet its knowledge was that which caused controversy within it. And required a wise answer from the Apostle Paul concerning his comments uh, about food that was offered to idols. Because they were living in a heathenistic society, the uh, people who were heathens, and worship with the different gods. If they had to the grocery store, they, they would offer everything in their grocery store or their meat market or whatever to their, their idols. Then the Christian the would come by and buy it. Now, the and problem is if you're a, a Christian, good. you would yeah. eat that meat to offer to the idols. That's the problem. All right. Uh-oh. What's that? Say it again. Say it again. All right. In, in Corinth, the most of the people were heathens. You know, yeah. I mean, they, they believed yeah. in, the in the polytheism, the many gods, so the. the, the uh, they had uh, their temples that were for prostitution, th- and, and the whole works. It was, it was a very, it was a very wicked area. And the church in Corinth was a very righteous, a very uh, good church that Paul himself had started. Now, now when the Christians would go, go into the marketplace to buy their food and clothing things, they would have to buy from people who were non-Christian, who were Paul you know belonged to the belief in the many gods, and they would have their idols. Around and they offered everything they had to the idols. So here's a Christian going into a meat market. Will say, buy a meat, and the meat was offered by the owner of that market to idols. Now the Christian. The problem was that though there were people in the churches who were saying, well, you can't buy that meat because it's been offered to idols. So there was a big rift in the church whether or not they were going to eat it or wear anything that they could buy it. They could do, they could not buy it from non-Christian people. That was kind of the conflict. It was going on. Well, uh, we find in that. Where uh, are we at? 1 Corinthians. yeah. That we find in that uh, the specific issue in was eating of meat that was offered to idols. That was the specific issue. And that's concerning, therefore, eating of those things that are offered in sacrifices to idols. That's verse 4. That. They were buying food from, they were buying meat from a market in town that the owner was not a Christian and he offered this meat to the idols. Now, um, the uh, theology of first Corinthians 8 is simple. Paul says idols are not real gods because there is only one God. Christianity with its Jewish roots unreservedly took Jewish monotheism as its foundation. The Christian view of the deity of Christ is not a threat to the belief in one God. Now, Paul recognized that the Gentiles tended to believe in many gods, but the power behind those idols was not the God but demons. The power behind the idols was not the God but demons. In 1 uh, Corinthians, we'll dwell on this for a little bit here. 1st Corinthians chapter 10, um, verse 20. 20. We have, no, it says, I am suggesting that what the pagans sacrifice, they offer in effect to demons. All right, that's very clear. Paul is saying that what the pagans offer to their idols, they are not offering to gods, they are offering to demons. Evil spiritual powers, and not to God at all. I do not want you to fellowship and be partners with with diabolical spirits by eating at their feasts. Don't go and eat at their feasts, because in that sense you are participating in their belief with their gods. But the distinctive Christian view in 1 Corinthians 8 verse 6 is, But but to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in Him. And one, one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Uh, let me read that out on the amplifier. 1 Corinthians 8 6. Yeah. Yet for us there is only one God the Father, who is the source of all things, and for whom we have life. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through and by whom all things are, by whom are all things, and through and by whom we ourselves exist. All right. All right. Now, the rejection of idolatry is made on the basis of the truth of the God, that since idols do not have power in their own right, and since sinful worship uh, to idols is actually worship of the demon, then Christians are not foolishly worshiping idols. This means that food offered to idols has actually not been offered to anything. The Christians uh, strong faith had, was free to eat such meat bought in the marketplace, even if it had been offered to a demon. But the Christian was not to go out to the pagan temples and offer meat and then come to the Lord's Supper and offer and worship it to the Lord. So what they were doing was that they could go to the market and buy the meat that that market owner had offered to the audience. But the Christian was not to go to the pagan temples and offer sacrifices there, and then come to the worship in, uh, of, of Christ. Um, it was the same as combining idolatry and the worship of God. Paul made it clear that one cannot worship the world and worship God at the same time. So what he's saying is that you—that the demons are not really anything. The idols are not really anything. They're not God. So. Since idols do not have the power in their own right, and since sinful worshiping the idols is actually worship the demons, the Christians are not foolish to worship idols. So it is alright to go and buy the meat that will in Egypt, that these people have not offered to idols because offering to idols is actually offering to nothing. But you cannot go and believe in the idols and offer sacrifices to the idols, for in that sense you are in combining idolatry with the Christianity. The Lord, the Lord is one God, there, the, the idea here is that there is one God, that's it. There is one God, that's all. There is no other God. So these people are offering to idols, it's nothing. It's nothing. It says offering it to nothing. But if you go, because it says right there when you spoke about it, as being uh, demons. So it says it's offering it to nothing because there is but one God. The purpose here then was uh, again. The idea is that the verses have affirmed that truth that there is but one God, and that this God is Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The God is the same who created the universe, who is the Father and Lord of Jesus Christ. There is only one other world religion that knows God by the same name as a Christian, and that's Judaism. So any questions on that? Understand there. Did you get that, Alice? Yeah. <laughs> yes. The recognition. Will, the, if you have you seen me, you have seen me. the Father. If you see, if you see no. the Father, you see the Spirit. If you see Christ, you see the Father. If you see Christ, you see the, you see Christ, you see the Spirit. They are three distinct, but yet one. one. Yeah, yeah we, will, we will see, see what? Right, that was the question. Pardon? only see some we get What's that? You'll see Jesus in the blood the Yeah. And he and the Right, But the Holy Spirit is, uh, he's a person to do. a <laughs> But they are not three separate gods. See we got we, all, we got, that's 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 the difficulty. Uh they're not three separate gods. They are they are distinct but yet one. Okay. Okay. Sure. We will be seen, we will be, we will okay. But the scripture also says that, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us, so part of us is in heaven, seated with Christ, then but we also have that Christ is in us, so there is the the. Uh, the person, okay, our limitations. Again, we're taking it from we look at it from the humanistic point of view of being centrality, I mean, of, of one body. Now, how do I move outside of myself? How, how do I stand beside myself? People say, I'm beside myself. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, just, I'm beside myself. Well, it's not true. I mean, it means that we just don't know what to do. Well, uh, God is beside himself. Three times. But God, is, but God in the essence of God, that is there's God the Father. Uh, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. So there is that distinction. But yet there is the unity. But see, this is, see, this is like the confusing part. It would probably be easier if we would believe that God is the three gods. But it, it says, says here, O Israel, the Lord is one God. But yet, we have the three different aspects of the Godhead. See, that's, that's the whole point of, a, no, laboriously, laborious, laborious here, laboriously, uh, looking through these, these different scriptures, that, that point out that the fact of the oneness. Now we get to the point of the, the, the Trinity. The three persons. Let's let's look at this for a minute. Maybe we can help ourselves. In Matthew chapter three, verses sixteen and seventeen. And seventeen. And then we have 2 Corinthians um, 13, 414 The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. And also another verse we have, Go ye there therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christian theology holds the deity of the Father, the deity of the Son, and the deity of the Holy Spirit. One God, yet three. Now, there have been attempts to... Uh, separated this. One one of the di, di, dynamic, dynamic monarchyism. And this was the idea that uh, when the spirit, it, I, didn't want to, I don't want to get into all that, is, but I'll just I can't, I can't touch it here for a minute. Was um, the, the view that Jesus Christ, uh, that at the baptism of Jesus was adopted as the son of God. The problem with dynamic monarchism is that it denies the deity of Christ as to Christ. What was the dynamic monarchism is that it Jesus was a person, a normal just you know he was a uh, normal human being until the baptism. When he baptized, when he was at the baptism of the spirit came upon him, that's when the Christ, the divine Christ, entered into him. I don't believe that. Alright? That's uh, uh, the, uh, the dynamic monarchism. Now uh, let me read this. At the baptism of the Spirit, the Spirit, or Christ, descended upon him, and from that time, he performed miraculous works of God. That he really wasn't God until the Spirit came upon him. This is dynamic monarchism. Now, why do I draw attention to that? By making Christ a separate entity from the historical figure of Jesus as a it leads to the kind of contemporary heresies that we find in the Unification Church, teaching that their leader is Christ that Christ came and inhabited another individual. See, the idea then with this dynamic monarchy is, is that Christ, Jesus of Nazareth and Christ are two different entities. And that Jesus of Nazareth lived uh, until he was baptized and then Christ entered in into Jesus of the Nazareth. Well, those who believe that didn't fall into like the Unification Church. They believe that uh, the moon is is Christ. I went to uh, Barrington College one time to uh, see a man who claimed to be Jesus Christ. He had people all around him. He was Christ. The, the Christ came and entered into him. Just see, this is the idea of this, and this was refuted, yes. No, 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 no. See, this is, the, this is what it's, it's, called, it's called. It's called dynamic monarchyism. A, it was uh, brought out up in 190 AD. These are old, these are, these are old lies. <laughs> these are old lies that have come about. The New Age. Uh, thinking think holds that the Christ is an eternal spirit that comes upon different men and at different times. Um, of course we know that this is not the teaching of the Word of God, and nor is it historically the orthodox Christianity. The Son and the Holy Spirit have always been eternally with the Father as three in one. The comment. One or more of them did not come into being at some point in time. Right, this, this is perhaps to answer your question, Diana one or more of it, meaning Father, Son, Holy Spirit, did not come into being and at some point in time, or at some point become divine. There has never been any alteration in the nature of the Triune God. He is and will be what He has.